it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. If you're listening to Investing for Beginners, then you probably care about money and learning how to make a good relationship with your finances. Everyone's Talking Money is hosted by money wellness expert and certified financial planner, Shauna Game. Everyone's Talking Money focuses on relevant, inclusive, and forward-thinking conversations around money. Hear about the money topics you need to know, such as ways to train your brain to reach money goals, why you should ditch your budget and start tracking your cash, and everything you need to know about paying off student loans. Simple steps to start investing as a side hustle, ways to invest in rental real estate, how to overcome money trauma, and so much more. With over 900 episodes, there's a show for any and every money question you have. I'm a big fan of Shauna's as well. She has a relatable style and soothing voice that takes some of the stress surrounding money. Shauna really speaks to the listener and never ends in an episode without actionable tips. I recently listened to the episode, Stop Stressing Over Your Money, a simple budgeting solution, where she talks about her simple, easy one, two, three system for budgeting. It helped me a lot. Are you ready to learn everything about money that no one has taught you? Do yourself a favor and subscribe to Everyone's Talking Money podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Finally, step-by-step premium investment guidance for beginners. Led by Andrew Sather and Dave Ahern to decode industry jargon, silence crippling confusion, and help you overcome emotions by looking at the numbers. Your path to financial freedom starts now. All right, folks, well, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. This is episode 127. Tonight, Andrew and I are going to take some listener questions and answer them for you. Uh, we got some great questions recently, and so we thought we would read through those and do our little back and forth and give and take. So, Andrew, why don't you go ahead and read us the first question? Sounds good. So this one's from Stefan L. He says, I've been following your podcast and your newsletter for about two or three months now, considering signing up for your e-letter, but first I need to work out the best way to invest in the U.S. market from abroad. He says, I live and work in Bulgaria. He says, I'm interested in investing into S&P 500, doing a dollar cost averaging with monthly installments of about $300. However, the options to buy an ETF from a local broker are terrible. They want to charge me 4% commission plus $2.2 per month plus bank transaction and currency exchange fees, which roughly amounts to 65 to 7%. Given that the average growth of the S&P 500 is around 8% a year, I can hardly make any money in the long run. Have another option to buy stocks and slash funds through interactive brokers where all costs amount to 25 to 3%. 
However, based on the audiobooks that I've been listening to, Money Mastering the Game by Anthony Robbins, I would say that this is still quite an expensive option. The only benefit is that by law, ETFs and mutual funds are not taxed if bought from or through an EU brokerage firm. So I save 10% of income tax. He says, I was wondering if you could let me know what are the standard fees you pay in the US per transaction slash monthly installment? And can you elaborate on the platforms you use for purchasing stocks and the taxes you pay? So kind of timely, right? Dave, what are your thoughts? Yeah. Yeah, very timely, for sure. So I guess my thoughts are, so I guess let's answer the last question first, because that's going to be the easiest part of this. Uh, the standard fees that we pay right now in the U.S. are zero dollar. Uh, so for any sort of transactions, buying an ETF, a mutual fund, or individual stocks, you are not going to pay a single penny for making a transaction in the U.S. right now. So that's obviously going to help your cost, long-term cost on that. As far as the taxes go, that's really going to depend a lot on A, what kind of account you have it in, whether you have it in an IRA versus uh, a just a straight brokerage account. So whether you have an, a traditional or a Roth will have a bearing on any sort of taxes you may or may not pay, as well as just a standalone brokerage account. Obviously, the standalone brokerage account is going to cost you more in the long run in taxes because you're not going to get those benefits that you would get with the retirement accounts. Uh, the other aspect of that is any sort of capital gains you would pay depending on the time frame of when you would sell the stock. You know, if you sell it shorter term, you're going to have more impact than if you pay, if you hold on to the stock longer. So I guess that's kind of a general overview of that. Now, delving back into the ETF part of it, here are some thoughts that I had. Andrew and I talked about this a, a couple episodes ago, and I'll kind of go back over this. I had a, a thought uh, about ETFs and kind of how they're structured. One of the, I guess, really huge calling cards about ETFs uh, prior was the effect that you had when you were buying stocks because of the commissions that we all had to pay, depending on what your brokerage were, there was kind of a wide range from zero with Robin Hood up to 1095 a trade, depending on what brokerage you were with. But now that the playing field has been leveled where they're all zero, really the only fees that you would possibly pay with an ETF or a mutual fund would be any of the maintenance fees that they're going to charge you to manage those funds for you, whether it's an ETF or a mutual fund. Now, the fun part about this, and this is was my idea, was what's to stop you from creating your own ETF now? So one of the ways that you can do this is you can go and find a breakdown of all the stocks that any ETF is holding. Uh, there's a website called ETF.com. If you go there and type in, you can use that as a screener so you can look for different kinds of ETFs, whether it's something like a broad index like the S&P 500 index. You can easily do that or you can use something more esoteric like, I don't know, all the oil stocks from the Middle East, whatever floats your boat. You can find an ETF for it uh, nowadays because they've been become very, very popular. But one of the things that you can do, and this was my idea, is why pay that extra fee to manage the ETF for you when you're willing to do it yourself? 
So some of the Vanguard funds are extremely low, like 0.03%. So, I mean, they're minuscule and, you know, do you really want to, I mean, is it worth it to you in the long run to do that? You know, that's really up to you. But for me, as a do-it-or-selfer kind of guy, I would prefer not to pay anybody anything. So what I could do is I could go to the ZTF.com, type in SPY, which is one of the S&P 500 ETFs that kind of tracks the broad index of those. You click on that link and it'll show you the top 10 holdings of that SPY. So when you look at that, you're going to see a breakdown of all the companies that it's holding in that ETF, as well as the overall percentage of that ETF. So for example, SPY is going to hold things like the big boys, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, uh, Facebook, in essence, all the FANG stocks, Alphabet slash Google, all those companies are going to be part of that, you know, as well as JP Morgan, Wells Fargo, uh, Cisco, you know, just about anybody you can think of. And they're going to, but the cool thing is, is they're going to have the percentages of how much of the 100% they're holding of these particular companies. And you could kind of work that out to create your own top 10 index if you wanted to, or even top five index. And, or you could just, if you don't want to own the FANG stocks, then you just go right down the list and choose the next five from that and pick those and create your own ETF from that. And you can using, you know, the $300 that, that, uh, he's looking at investing is he could break that up into buying different, you know, asset allocations of those particular companies and create his own TF, own ETF. And that would save him, you know, a boatload of money. Uh, by doing it that way. And it would also help him in the long run because he's not going to be paying any management fees. Now, of course, you're going to have to do some rebalancing from time to time as the, as the stocks and the dividends are, are reinvested in, in the companies. They're going to outgrow some of those percentages and you may want to have to adjust those depending on your comfort level with having a larger portion of one particular company being bigger than the other. But I just, there's no reason why you can't look at any ETF and create your own going forward. And I think that is something that I know that I'm going to be exploring as well. Um, especially as I learn more and more about the stock market and, uh, particularly bonds and some of those things that are, are, are interesting to me. I think this is going to be a great way to kind of create our own ETFs because these are all managed by the big boys, smart, smart people. And, you know, why work harder when you can work smarter, I guess. Ooh, great line. <laughs> Thanks. Were, were we talking, were, was I talking to you when um, we were saying one of the brokers now does fractional ownership? Yes. Yeah. We talked about that last week, you know, a week before. Uh, yeah, we did recently. I don't think we talked about that on air though. No, I don't think we did. So that, I mean, so, you know, the one argument you can make against not building your own ETF is let's say I wanted to own Amazon. There you go. <laughs> you know, Why was, would you want to do that? <laughs> right. But if say I wanted to own it at a thousand dollars a share, well, I would have to save a thousand dollars and then to kind of get an equal weight balance, you'd kind of need a thousand in every stock. And so an ETF can do that for you. Right. Whereas now with fractional share ownership, you can actually create that and just do even like $10 and it's like, well, I have 
0.1 share of Amazon, but now some of the brokers, do you remember which broker um, allows that now? I honestly don't. I, you know, I want to say it was Charles Schwab, but I, I don't yeah, know I that. I, I don't that know that for correct. sure. So just, you know, just another kind of argument and seems like it's just moving in that way. Yeah, I would agree with that. So, uh, yeah, as far as like the account options go, if you're somebody who is international looking to invest in the U.S., I don't know. Basically, you know, Dave and I are not tax experts and we're not um, international experts by any stretch. However, um, I think it's important to be aware that, you know, while there might be some trade-offs between... uh, as an example, I'm an American, so if I try to buy a Chinese stock, let's say, uh, I'm going to get probably double taxed. Um, so, you know, there might be some downside to somebody who's in another country trying to buy stocks in the U.S. and then maybe possibly facing double taxation depending on what country they live in. But I think it's good to be aware of what the conditions are kind of here in the States and hopefully with other brokerages and other countries um, that trend is going that way. I mean, this idea of paying almost six and a half to seven percent for this ETF stuff, that's just ludicrous. And yeah, it, it defeats is, the whole purpose a, of why they were made. Right. Yeah, it does completely. It's just foolish. I mean, you know, the, the option where he's talking about interactive brokers, I think that's kind of a no brainer personally. Yeah. Uh, that's, I guess, the the better of two evils. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. But I guess I would think that with the United States going that route, I would, I would imagine that the rest of the marketplaces around the world would start to go that way as well sooner than later. Right. Hey, you, what's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's free ebook at stockmarketpdf.com. You won't regret it. I guess one last thing that came to my mind is that becomes a, in the realm of possibility over the last few weeks that you haven't really been able to do before as an average investor with all the zero fee commissions is now, you know, in the past it was like had to save up $150 so that the transaction fee wouldn't take up too much of your capital. Now, you know, with no transaction fees, you can get started and buy a penny stock for a couple dollars. You could buy like Office Depot for two bucks. You could buy, um, you know, like a blanking on. I didn't want to give away e leather pick, <laughs> um, but you know, lots of other stocks trading at fifteen dollars, twenty dollars, whatever, and even just buying one share, and you can do that right away. So now, what kind of comes into play that never was in the past is somebody who's just starting out could kind of get like an insta diversification where instead of in the past I've always recommended um buy one stock and you know try to save at least 150 a month buy one stock and then continue buying a new stock until you have a diversified portfolio of 20 stocks well now somebody could theoretically buy like a $25 you could take that same $150 you could buy six different 100 uh $25 stocks and all of a sudden you have a lot more diversification than you did in the past. I think there's still a lot of there's a lot to be said about diversifying over time. So, you know, just because you split money all at once 
in one month and, and you have like a full portfolio, don't think that makes you diversified in any way. I think you always want to be dollar cost averaging because in a way you're kind of diversifying the time aspect, if that makes sense, and not necessarily buying too high. But I think this is an option now that comes into play with somebody, whether they're wanting to kind of craft their own ETF or even just more excited about getting into individual stocks. Um, this is one way to kind of ease that that trepidation or the worry that you might have had in the past with just buying one stock. Now you can kind of spread that out and it's something that wasn't really a good option before. Yeah, that's great. I agree with that. That's uh that's a good point. I hadn't I hadn't thought of that before, so that's nice. Can I patent that phrase, insta diversification? <laughs> yes, I think you should. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Moving on. All right. So the, the next uh the next question we have is from Gabe. Uh and this is for Andrew. Hey Andrew, I've been listening to your and Dave's podcast, big fan, and you have made me want to begin investing. I have made and funded an ally account, but not yet bought anything. Before I started, I just have a few questions about your e-letter and advisor services. I'm not a subscriber yet as I'm trying to do my research and really decide what services and resources I want to buy into. So first question, I feel like I understand the dollar cost averaging and drip, but I'm unsure about when or if I would be going to buy more shares of the stock that was bought. For example, in month one, I buy stock X. Then a month two, a new stock is advised. Would the only time you buy more of X is when the drip occurs? Let's be honest here. Your sex life is important. It helps us feel more confident and boosts our happiness. But sometimes we struggle to perform. Our life gets in the way. This is where Hims can help. With their convenient and discreet online platform, you can get help for your erectile dysfunction from the comfort and privacy of your own home. No more waiting rooms, no more awkward conversations, just a simple, direct path to treatment that works around your life, not interrupts it. Invest in your health today. Hims is changing men's health care by providing access to affordable sexual health treatments from the comfort of your couch. Hims provides access to doctor-trusted ED treatment options such as chewable hard mints, brand-name treatments like Viagra, or generic alternatives for up to 95% cheaper. The process is simple and 100% online, no uncomfortable doctor visits. Answer a series of questions on their site, and a medical provider will determine the right treatment option. If prescribed, your medication ships to you free, no insurance is needed. If ED is getting you down, it's time you join the hundreds of thousands of trusted HIMS subscribers and get treated. Start your free online visit today at hymns.com slash investing. That's H-I-M-S slash investing for your personalized ED treatment options. Hymns.com slash investing. Hard mints are chewable compounded products which are not approved by or verified for safety and effectiveness by the FDA. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See website for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to Nerd Wallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? 
Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money, not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. So a lot, we get a lot of questions about dollar cost averaging. I think that's a good thing because I guess the more we talk about it, the more people can understand. And I think it's tricky and something that it's not really covered much because um, it's more exciting to talk about stocks and not as exciting to talk about portfolio management. But I would argue that portfolio management is probably more important and dollar cost averaging falls into that. So if you are currently a subscriber to the e-leather, you will know the answer to this already. But basically, every month I am evaluating every stock I own in the sense where, you know, it's it's not like I'm digging into the annual reports every time that would be exhausting, but I'm checking up on where the prices have been. I have my little spreadsheet network that kind of updates my VTI values and so I can see from a price standpoint how these stocks are moving from day to day, month to month and if they're becoming, you know, if they're staying in the valuation ranges where they warrant a buy or not. So to answer the question, um, I will buy more if it's still a good deal. And if I still feel good about the bullish thesis that I had on it, um, I will definitely buy more. So uh, subscribers will notice this too. Sometimes I'll take two months in a row where I'm recommending the same stock. Sometimes I will recommend a stock that I recommended a year before and um, recommend that again. So every issue comes with like a list of the stocks I believe are still buys. So, you know, if, if the reason I do that is because sometimes there are people who are just building their portfolio and so they might not want to double up on a position, right? And so they want, they might want 
two, three, four new positions and they don't want to double up like I am. So if you look at the portfolio, you'll see I have some positions that like uh, one of the recent ones from last month, it's a 12x position. It's a, it's a pretty high concentration. Um, it sounds like a lot more than it really is. It's just because the portfolio is getting so big now. But yeah, I have other positions that are like 9x and 9.5x. So you really start to get into like position sizing. And the bigger your portfolio gets, the the smaller your deposits get as a percentage of your portfolio. So there's a lot of these little details as you're kind of doing it yourself and, and managing a portfolio that you really need to think about. And so that's that's a good question. Um, and it's not, I'm just recommending a stock once and leaving it alone. I'm, I'm going to look at how these prices are moving and, and kind of go from there. Last little thing I'll add to that is I have these values, these VTI values that are um, updating but just because a VTI is still a strong buy doesn't necessarily mean um, I still consider it a strong buy. So there is a little bit of qualitative factor that goes into it. So I might have a stock that's like a hold, for example. So I don't feel so bad about it to want to sell it. And I don't feel so good about it that I want to buy more, even though the VTI is showing me a strong buy. When I have, let's say, stock B over here, which looks so much better and also has a great VTI. And so those are kind of the decisions that I'm making from a month-to-month basis. And that would probably be a good idea for any investor out there. Excellent. That's great stuff. All right. So let's move on to the next question. Also about portfolio diversification. I know you've said around 15 to 20 stocks is a good goal. In these 20 stocks, should you be looking to hold stocks in each 11 sectors with one, two stocks in each, or maybe only five sectors with five different companies? So actually, I've never heard your thoughts on this, Dave. So let me throw it back to you. And I'm curious how you deal with like sectors and and kind of how you structure your portfolio that way. Um, so I guess I'm probably a little bit different. Uh, I guess I follow more along the lines of our buddies, um, Uncle Warren and Uncle Charlie, in that I try to stick as opposed to buying a stock in a sector that I know nothing about, that I have zero competence in, and I can read the 10K and go, huh? Uh, I don't buy it just because I have to, ha- I have to have it in a sector. I generally try to stick with more of the sectors that I'm more comfortable with and buy companies in those and not worry so much about the sectors, but worry more about the companies that I'm buying and trying to stay with an, I guess my circle of confidence, I guess is the best way of putting it. Uh, you- yeah. The- I couldn't agree more. Like, uh, there's just some sectors out there that are just so terrible. It almost like irritates me that anybody would think that they have to be diversified into them or anybody who says you would have to be like, you know, biotech is basically put your money on red and, you know, <laughs> right. And let's wait and see what happens. <laughs> it, it's, it's, I can't even imagine trying to pick a stock inside of biotech, not to mention that sector as a whole is just, completely crater. It was like the hot thing of a couple years ago and now it's just not. 
So, mm-hmm. you know, w- with an investor in the 19... 19- I love the horse and buggy example using it just countlessly but you know with investor in the 1920s or whenever it was should they have put money in the horse and buggy industry so they could have stayed diversified throughout a sector you know throughout all sectors to kind of cover everything i just i I think there's just so many so many judgments you can make about you know let's let's kind of be smarter and not not over diversify i think a lot of I guess depending on your age and, and kind of your goals and stuff, I think a lot of people can just over diversify themselves to death. And I don't think you necessarily have to do that to make great returns. Um, just understand if you diversify in something that's, I got to be careful with my words. If you diversify into something that will probably get lower returns then you're probably needlessly dragging your total return down. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Yeah. So e- even you know, just to get exposed, you're never going to get exposure to everything, and every sector is different. Every industry is different. Business is always changing. The industries within this is always changing. And yesterday's industry that was a boom could be tomorrow's bust. And so, just like you don't want to buy into an industry just because the prices are low. You know, you also want to think about if I have two stocks, one is trading really cheaply, but I see that the revenues have been declining. The the earnings have been declining and everything around its industry is declining. Everything tells me that this is a dying industry. Am I going to buy low just because it's at a low price? I hope not. And so in the same token, I don't want to jump into an industry just to fulfill uh, uh, this need to feel diversified. The way I'll, I'll kind of throw some numbers. So something I also include in the e-letters is just like a general um, position size chart, spreadsheet, table, whatever you want to call it. So basically every position, because it's gotten to the point now where the portfolio is pretty big. The numbers get pretty big and you know they fluctuate up and down. So it can be hard to kind of get perspective on how much is this stock really taking up in my portfolio, right? So I, I kind of break down the percentages and I have a few different sectors that, I've, that I'm currently allocated in. So right now I'm 55% into consumer goods and I think that definition is loose is a loose definition and it really depends on you could kind of argue multiple ways with different stocks. Uh, I have an 18% in services, 10% in financial, a little less than 3% in tech. It was higher, but I just exited a position for a large profit. And then there's some basic materials and industrial goods. So, you know that I'm, I'm so I'm monitoring that and I'm aware of where that is, but I'm not using that to drive my decisions. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Okay, so I think it's it's good to be aware of. Like, I wouldn't want to be 100 percent into consumer goods because I think if you have a recession, that would probably blow up. But then the same token, if that's where the deals are, that's where the deals are. And like, I, I, I guess as a general rule, I would like to get more into tech, but the reality is there's only so many tech companies that become a good value. So, you know, 
all of those things, I guess, to keep in mind, but as a general rule, I probably wouldn't give the idea of sector diversification too high of a priority when it when you compare it to other things. And I would agree with that. And I, I, I guess two things that I want to tag on to that. Number one is when, as you naturally are buying companies, especially when you're, if you're working with Andrew and his, his fantastic uh, ideas and uh, thoughts and his great picks that he comes up with every month, you're naturally going to start to create a diversification just by that alone. And then you, you know, can start looking at other companies that you may be interested in from there. The other thing that I wanted to talk about was just the like, I guess, touching again on the circle of, of competence. Uh, I want to give you a story. Uh, Monish Prabhai, who's one of my favorite value investors, incredibly intelligent man and could do anything. And he, he wants to be an investor. And one of the things that he does, so for example, uh, a few, quite a few years ago, he bought a company called Fiat Chrysler. And before he bought them, he knew nothing about the car industry, nothing. And he came across the stock through one of his processes that he does to screen for companies and whatnot. And it, it looked interesting, but he didn't know anything about the company. So he spent, I think it was six months studying the car industry reading publications about how cars are made, learning how production lines work, learning about labor unions, all the different things that go into a car industry. So from building a car to managing, selling, you know, dealing with the governments, where the cars are made, just everything and anything exhaustive, interviewing people, meeting the CEOs, which is not something you and I can do, but he did. He did all those things before he bought Fiat Chrysler, and it turned out to be a fantastic you know, stock for him. He bought it at like $3 a share. And now it's in the twenties. Uh, he made gazillions by doing that. But uh, my point being is, is that he took the time to learn as much as he possibly could about that industry before he bought the company because he, it didn't fall in his circle of competence. Now we don't all have six months to study the airline industry in depth for the, you know, the next six months, because we all have jobs and families and things we have to do that we can't devote all this. So if you don't have competence or confidence that, you know, a lot about a particular company, then like Andrew was saying, you're kind of putting, you're putting money at, at jeopardy by stretching out and trying to reach for something just because it fits into a slot, so to speak. And so I really encourage you to think about things that you are going to feel comfortable reading about, talking about, learning about, learning more about, you know, whatever it is you do for a living, all those things can lead you to feeling more comfortable about making an investment. Because again, you're buying a company, you're not buying a stock, you're buying a company and companies build stuff, make stuff, make money. And that's how it all works. And you have to always keep that in mind when you're trying to create a portfolio from scratch. You know, Andrew does a fantastic job of guiding people through his picks and the reason why he's making them. And he puts a lot of thought process into how his portfolio is constructed. And he just told you what kind of his breakdown of how that works. And he's already naturally created a diversification just based on what he's comfortable buying. And then you may have other things 
that you may feel comfortable with that Andrew doesn't. And that doesn't mean it's good or bad. It just means that you are more comfortable with that and you can put, you know, some money into those things and start to kind of expand a little bit, you know, your diversification. But just throwing something in there to throw something in there is it's not going to help you in the long run. I love that. Those are some great points. Like when I look at my portfolio, I see like they're pretty simple businesses. I see a chicken company. I see a t-shirt company, jewelry, an airline, uh, a company that deals with things that kids love. So it, it really makes it a lot easier when you bring that mindset into it. Something Mm -hmm. that I thought of uh, with what you were saying is I think when you challenge people that, hey, they really need to find the circle of competence and they really need to understand what they're risking their money for, I think you kind of get a fork in the road because you have two types of people, I think. You have the people who maybe are over... There's probably more, but let's make it easy. Uh, You have the people who are completely overwhelmed and they say, I don't really care about business and how businesses work. I just want to make decent returns. So maybe you can give a suggestion for that person. And then on the second uh, end of the road, you have the other person who is super excited, really wants to learn about business and how it works and how businesses can grow and make profits and and how we can find out about that. And then they're kind of hungry for the next step. So how would you speak to each of those two people? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I guess the... The oh boy, um, the second person I think would be easier for me to deal with because that's the person that's willing to do the deep dive and look more into what they're going to be comfortable buying because they're going to invest the time to learn more about that particular company because they feel comfortable learning more about how they do what they do. Uh, and I think that leads to more, I guess, confidence in their selections where I think when you're looking at the first fork on the road, those are people that I think w- want to scratch the surface, but are not as interested in learning the deep, dark details as the second person is. And so I guess trying to guide them through picking things that are going to help them in the long run, but are going to be maybe safer picks. Is that a better way of putting it? Uh, It's tough because I guess there's such a broad spectrum of people and their interest levels and their, Mm -hmm. you know, effort levels and everything. I kind of trapped you with a hard one there. (laughs) Yeah, you did. (laughs) I don't. So I, I, I I think about it often because I think it's a podcast for beginners and we have such a wide range of, it's so fun to to, to see the intelligence and get the feedback from you guys and and hear from people who, you know, they love it. They get inspired. They're, they're all about it. Um, But, you know, sometimes some people kind of fall off because um, some of this stuff can get mm, involved, right? Like you do need to put like an effort to it. And so not that I have like the answer for everybody, but this just kind of popped up in my head while you were talking. It's like, do just like, if you absolutely hate the idea of like 
I don't know, looking at profit numbers and, and all those just, you know, basic profit revenue um, assets. If that really doesn't speak to you at all, I, I think I think what you need to focus on more is the big picture ideas, which is something I think we try to talk about constantly as much as we can. And so what that means is um, make sure whatever you do, you're, you're doing it for the long term and make sure if you learn anything that you learn the ability to let your investments stay. Because I think the biggest fear that at least I personally have is for somebody to lose interest in the stock market or investing. And it doesn't give me fear like, oh man, they're not going to pick stocks like I do. They're not going to be nerds like I am. That's not it at all. It's that if you don't learn enough that you understand how the market works, you're going to be like the people you see on TV who lose everything because they sell and they panic like the rest of everybody else. When these crashes and these bear markets and these recessions, they happen pretty frequently and, and they're just kind of like a nature of the beast. And it's, it's, it's just part of an economy and it's part of a market and that's just the way things work. And so if you're not setting the right expectations, if you're trying to, you know, kind of jump in and jump out, this isn't a thing that you just pick up overnight and then it's not riding a bike, I guess, in the sense that it stays with you for the rest of your life. You just, you have to put, I guess that was the wrong metaphor. It is kind of like riding a bike because you do have to put a lot of effort into learning how to ride a bike and you can use that for the rest of your life. But, you know, nobody learns to ride a bike by jumping on the first time and then, oh, that's it. I got it. You know, you kind of have to put the work in. And so when you at least understand that there's these huge things like diversification, dollar cost averaging, and staying invested for the long term, get those down and understand why, like learn that part. And then the other part that you don't really like about companies or stocks um, won't matter as much as long as you are doing the big picture things and investing in the right way. And I think if you're a person on that fork of the road and you kind of just, you're okay with like kind of what the market could generally give you and you have no interest in, in, in going for more, then I think that's something you you should do. But I don't think scratching the surface would be beneficial because then you'll just panic like everybody else when the next calamity hits, which it will. All right, folks. Well, that is going to wrap up our discussion for this evening. I hope you enjoyed our give and take and our answers to the questions. I wanted to thank Gabe and, and Stefan for their great questions. Thank you guys for taking the time to write to those, write those to us. We really appreciate it. It was a lot of fun answering those questions. You guys had some great ones and as always. So without any further ado, I'm going to go ahead and sign us off. You guys go out there and invest with a margin of safety, emphasis on the safety. Have a great week and we'll talk to you all next week. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real-life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. 
Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.